Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 51. This is the second in our two-part listener suggestion series, so we'll be doing about another ten albums, so I think about seven listener suggestions, a few of our favourites from 2019, and we've got another sort of friends band recommendation at the end of this as well. So we're just going to dive straight into it uh, with an album I am particularly fond of. So this is a recommendation from listener Daniel Whitaker. And this was the 2017 release by The Ruins of Beverast, Exuvia. So this band, uh, yet another German one. We've had a fair mm. few German recommendations here. Formed in 2003. This is their fifth album of five. What I would call this band like your classic sort of death doom. It's basically death metal where everything has been dragged out into the long form and atmospheric mm. end of the scale. Their particular incredible selling point is it's an entirely one-man project, yeah. which, when we get into how well done a lot of this is, is fucking mind-blowing. Yeah. There's been, well, there have been so many of those recently, these insane... Like, with the technology that people have to be able to do entire albums by themselves, it's just showing us all that we're all hacks, really. It's all these <laughs> one-man projects where all the serious talent is. Yeah, so the album starts in the most bizarre way of this, like strange clipped chanting mm. and it goes on for ages before a like sort of a melodic lead comes in like, and a very slow couple of echoing notes lead mm. and then just all hell breaks yeah. loose. Like, <laughs> yeah no, I, I really didn't know what to expect going into this one when it started off but it gets a really and that intro really works for this it gets a really psychedelic feel at a lot of mm. times it goes in really strange directions with weird melodies and incorporations of other elements and I guess, yeah, sort of what you were saying of like a sort of death metal thing being stretched yeah, in a way, which makes it feel really odd and on edge and you get that psychedelic element from it. The thing they do, which is a classic Funeral Doom staple, is a lot of these long repeating melodies where, I say, say repeating melodies that are dragged out over a very long time of a couple of echoing notes. Mm. I mean, often they're like a chord with each note individually picked, hanging for a long time. Ruins of Everest's like sort of interesting take on that is the clean melody is way up in the mix. Like mm. it's properly front and centre. And the riffs underneath it keep changing. So yeah. you like the the first track has almost one melody line running through its entire fifteen minutes, but the entire song shifts through all sorts of styles in it. Mm. But that particular melody keeps coming back. The drumming is so death metal, though. It, yeah. That's what really, I think, stops it being like a proper doom band. Mm. But there's there's some really cool parts of it as well in terms of how it's mixed, because the, the toms are super up in the mix. So there are these really loud toms like on the fills and then part of the grooves as well, which take massive center stage, which is, you know, like toms are usually just reserved for the thing you hit during the fills. Mm. To have them coming in and being a big part of the sound is really nice. And it just makes it feel a little bit different, a bit more tribal in a way, with yeah, those yeah. huge pounding drums in there. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it certainly has that kind of atmospheric drum like nature to it as well. In places, mm. the vocal performance is really, really good. Yeah, like, and he he keeps a load of tricks up his sleeve of like you don't see it coming because so much of the first uh, first ten minutes of the album these really guttural death metal screams. Then these really great clean vocals yeah, come in. Yeah, but he's, yeah. he's kept them hidden <laughs> for ages into the album. Yeah, and the, again, the mix of the vocals is really cool because they sort of feel like mixed around you. It, it feels almost 3D, like you're sort of in this maelstrom because there's loads of different things going on. 
Um, and I really liked that. It felt really atmospheric, which, yeah, because, mm. like, I kept getting a sort of black metal-y feel from parts of this. Like, it, f- it has that atmosphere that a black metal thing has. Yeah, it's got that kind of really evil atmosphere. But mm. nothing about the performance is black metal. No, this is no. entirely doom and death metal. There's scarcely another influence in yeah. there. Which I suppose is taking that sort of the idea of funeral doom and taking the atmosphere that you can create from slowing things down and allowing that space to build tension and that fear you can do that through this which makes you think it's black metal when it's not yeah yeah i i i'm just absolutely astounded by this like it's funny actually i remember not long after we put out our best of 2017 episode daniel first recommended this sort of saying like oh but have you not heard the ruins of the beverage album and he's totally right because mm. in hindsight this is my favourite album from 2017. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely up there. I'm absolutely obsessed with this. And I've gone back and listened to some of his other five Mm. albums. They're brilliant. Like, this is is an institution in Death Doom, it seems. And somehow I remained ignorant of them until until this recommendation. But yeah, it just... I can't fault this. I genuinely, for its whole 70-minute runtime, I find it absolutely fascinating. Yeah, this was another one for me which was up there with Shabti as one of those things of just recommendations of like, oh God, I, like, I have to listen to this more. So, yeah, thank you very much for this one.
Okay, next up we have a recommendation from Matt of Punishing Brutality Podcast, who we still need to get on as a guest at some point soon. But this is one of the this is easily the most classic album of the lot. Uh, this is between the Baron and Me's most famous album. They're basically one track epic mm. colours, released in two thousand seven on Victory Records. So I, I fully admit we're between the Baron and Me. They're a band that I came across Back in like 2005 as a teenager, and because of the like hardcore vocal approach, totally wrote them off, didn't get into them, yeah. and didn't go back to until Automata Part 1 came out last year, and I suddenly got that and have subsequently listened to Colours like quite a few times long before Matt recommended it. I think Matt has previously described this as, uh, hopefully I'm not taking this out of context, of like it's being his best album ever, like... Uh, what's your what's your feelings on Between the Buried and Me then, Rob? Um, so I was pretty similar. They're a sort of band that I'd never really listened to, and this is the first time I've properly got into them. And I was really taken by surprise by how much I sort of liked this from the get-go. Um, like, there's a lot here. So mm. I, you know, I saw, when I was listening to it, I was sort of like, this is an unfair recommendation. There's no way <laughs> I can actually authoritatively talk about how much is going on here. Um <laughs> But yeah, getting really, really into it. Like, it's enormous and sprawling and epic and there's so much sort of going on. There's One of the things I really liked is how it transitioned really dynamically between these sort of ethereal acoustic segments, which are much calmer, and then straight into these blast beats. And it can make those transitions throughout the whole thing. It feels so natural, all of the changes in it, because there's so many ideas but it's not sort of like a legion like we talked about in the last episode where it's throwing them all at you at once. It like moved between these things really smoothly. And then the sort of dynamics of it as well where all of the instruments have that room to breathe during the different sections. You can yep. really pay attention to each individual part of it and you can hear those like really subtle little drum parts and there are those much quieter sections and then the proper like blast beat full on much heavier. Yeah, yeah, and, and and actually, for a band this like kind of technically proficient, they before we go any further, it must be said every musician in this band is utterly incredible mm. and can run rings round most musicians you could mention. Yeah, um, but like, there's not actually that much self indulgence. Like, I think some of their early stuff has a lot more solos. This album, I would say, has one proper guitar <laughs> solo in the whole album. Yeah, but. Like, yeah, just like that closer to White Walls is about the only bit where someone focuses on the melody for that long. Yeah, and that, that restraint is sort of throughout the whole thing because it is complex. It's not an easy album to play, but it doesn't delve into that level of just sort of guitar wankery. But then it's still immensely catchy. Mm. It does a thing that I think another album we'll talk about on this does where there's an awful lot of thought going into how this is constructed and all of the like different rhythms and the melodies that are there but the thought is put into making them catchy and interesting rather than just making them good and they're sort of deceptively much more complicated than they appear yeah it's a very it's actually quite an easy listen like an album to listen to like yeah. if you wanted to get someone into more extreme music i think colors is a really good start point because mm. it's got a lot of very melodic, um, traditional clean vocals split in between like the really aggressive screams. Um, there's loads of super catchy riffs, and there's loads of like fun bits where they do yeah. something bizarre. Like I think is it prequel to the sequel that starts with that 
bizarre blues slash country <laughs> breakdown where it suddenly turns into shredding guitar. Yeah, like. yeah. And it's got bits that feel like Mr. Bungle as well where they're doing mm. all sorts of like weird progressive stuff. So yeah, there's there's always different things. It's like, it's interesting and it's entertaining. It's not something like other albums we listen to where it's just like a dirge of like aggression in your face. It balances that aggression with a whole bunch of other elements. Yeah, yeah. And like the... I've been saying this actually for a while now uh, since I've got my head around this band. I do think Dan Briggs is one of the better bass players in mm. in metal in general. Like, not just... His playing is obviously flawless. He's in Between the Buried and Me. But the way he stands out on a lot of the music he makes, I've not, I can't think of many other bass players who, in music this complex, manage to add to it constantly. Mm. On every track, he's doing something interesting that cuts through. And that, that can be said of every musician in this band. It's just, yeah. in these kind of bands, it's rarer for the bass to have that oh, place. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because actually, the obvious comparison with this band, although not the same genre, is they have loads of Dream Theaterisms. Yeah, and Dream yeah. Theater's bass player is almost certainly a slightly better bass player, but you never notice him no. on Dream Theater <laughs> albums. Watching him live, you're like, oh, that's really interesting, but he never cuts through hmm. where it's Dan Briggs right in your face for the whole album. Yeah, and it, it is that attention to the sort of end product of the song being something that's interesting and engaging listening to, which, again, Dream Theater can do and have done, but they do sometimes fall off into not seeming to have that as a priority yeah, whereas yeah. in this like that is right up front you know just like images and words or something like that it's about making songs that are interesting and entertaining to listen to and it, this fits one of my criteria for like a truly classic album where the whole structure of the album is so thought through as being a cohesive mm, piece like, mm. like a lot of people refer to it as being essentially like one song because yeah. everything flows perfectly into each other like if you were listening to this without looking at it, you would have no idea where songs yeah. change. Like, <laughs> this could be 50 tracks or it could be two. Right? That was one of those things when I was doing the listening to this. Of, um, you know, When you're listening to it and you're thinking, oh right, this bit's really cool. I should talk about that. And then you go, right, what songs are in? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think actually one of the things that got me into this band a lot more was... I started noticing all those comparisons to bands like Dream Theater. There's a like Haken clearly take a massive influence yeah. on these guys, yeah. particularly their first two or three albums. Um, despite the fact these are obviously way more heavy, but in so many of the structures and so many of the melodic passages, they really sound like those true uh, prog metal bands, mm. and this, hence why I imagine they've been on so many tours. Like. I think they really got their break supporting Dream Theater. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I see that sort of combination. But um, yeah, like it's such a sort of epic album. Like there's so much going on. And as you're saying with the, like, it's, you can't really listen to it out of order. No. It doesn't really make sense doing it like that. So it's one of those albums that if you listen to it, you should just give yourself that time to properly get through the whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And unlike some of the others we were talking about on the last episode, I think like... Most people, you'll probably find you'll at least be getting quite a lot out on that first listen. Yeah. And then yeah. there's just more to unpack as you go through it. Because I certainly found this was a relatively, like, easy, like, win. I was sort of into it from about ten minutes in. And obviously, me and Rob are ridiculously stupid for having never got ahead around yeah. this album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But back in 2007, if mm. I'm totally honest. Like... And I do feel between the Berenger and Mirror band, I will slowly go back and mm. pretty much give. Oh, they got about ten albums now, something like that. Yeah, that's a crazy work ethic. That's that's more than an album every two years, which for a modern like progressive yeah. metal band is, yeah. And and the <laughs> fact like the two I know well 
are so cleverly constructed. Mm. Fort Osmus Part 2 was a bit rubbish. <laughs> uh, but Part 1's great. Mm. <laughs> like, part 2 has a bit where they literally just do a Diablo Swing Orchestra song. Oh, right. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I love Diablo Swing Orchestra, but they like it yeah. sounds just like they, that dancer's that, dilemma. Yeah, Diablo Swing Orchestra have sort of already done that and done it really well. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 the other two albums, like, I do think are incredible. And Colours, you can see why this is their absolute landmark mm. sort of statement. The way it builds, like... The crescendo of the album is utterly incredible. The mm. aforementioned one guitar solo, yeah. the whole album yeah. builds <laughs> to this kind of utterly brilliant bit of lead guitar yeah. work. And that sort of not only having structure within songs, but having the album's worth of structure is that thing which makes you think that's what defines things as an absolute classic and a masterpiece, is where every element of it has been designed to get that feeling out of it at different points. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I've come round to absolutely, like, absolutely loving Tommy Rogers' vocals. Like, they are... Like, his cleans are really melodic and beautiful. His screams are very, very heavy, but very clear. I like... Uh, recently, I've got the live DVD where they play mm. this in full, and he does some really interesting stuff. Like, there's a bit towards the end of White Wolves where... He does this vocal effect by just screaming while swinging his head violently back and forth. <laughs> so the sound cuts in and out. Oh, and yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, this is a really interesting That's experimental cool. vocalist. Yeah. Despite doing essentially quite traditional styles in a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's certainly, you know, if you're more if you're more used to just sort of traditional death metal or other metal genres, it can be something that takes a bit of time to get used to, but I don't think it's that different. There's um, a there's a lot of jazz influence in there, like mm. which I think some people do find those very clean jazzy chords quite off putting in metal. Like mm. there's been quite a visceral reaction to a lot of bands taking on more of that. But I don't think that they don't go like the FLUF or even like Pestilence Spheres route where mm. the jazz becomes a real forefront of it. It's just they've taken a little influence from that. And they've just taken a little influence from hundreds of genres. Yeah. Hence yeah. why I compare them to stuff like Haken in a lot of places. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it, the thing is, most of you are probably already well aware of this, so we're kind of preaching to the converted. But if you haven't listened to it it's since back in 2007, mm. Go back and give this one another go, because it is a masterpiece. It is utterly incredible. And yeah, I think I just, I need to get my head around the rest of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely central.
Okay, so we've got a second uh, recommendation from Hal on this, just because we really wanted to cover this one. Um, this is a very recent release. She's getting, been getting quite a lot of attention. This is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards' 14th album, <laughs> Infest the Rat's, the Rat's Nest. Um, so, ridiculously, King Gizzard formed in 2010 and have they're an Australian band. I think they're like a seven-piece at the moment. And they have released 14 albums of sort of somewhere between progressive indie rock. Uh, they, they are a rock band that do weird things, yeah. I think is a, yeah. a fair description. Um, but the, the reason this album is particularly interesting to us is because they've sort of made quite a sharp left turn in their sound with this one and done a... Done a metal album. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't describe anything else I've ever heard of them as metal. But no, no. This very much is. A lot of the other stuff I've got into of King Gizzard has been like the sort of much like proggier rock side of that mix of that sort of indie feel. But I sort of turned this album on and I was like, God, they've made a thrash metal album <laughs> in their own particular style. But it actually adds a whole bunch of really fresh and interesting sort of ways of delivering thrash because it's. It's it because it's got this sort of like double bass at the intro, which is sort of like the angel of death, like Dave Lombardo mm. double bass bit, and then it's got these like scratchy, thrashy guitars, but then it's also got these like doomy bits as well. Like in Superbug, there's like this like really like classic heavy metal doomy chant section. So it, yeah, like it was really surreal to hear a band that I know for doing like weird prog songs and the bizarre music videos making a thrash album. Yeah, so we should probably explain, King Gizzard's main gimmick is having way too many members. Like, mm. their their lineup is a seven-piece with two drummers who play these kind of, almost play the same thing as each other on quite a lot of songs, as far as I can tell. Every now and then they'll do something different, but it's really quite rare. A lot of the time they're just playing precisely the same, which, weirdly, is a really good mark on their skill because if you I've listened to it quite carefully because when I first came across them I was trying to work out why do they have two drummers and you listen to it and they're just playing the same thing at exactly the same time and they never sort of miss hit the snare so it sounds like two hits it's always spot on so they're both like really locked in with each other yeah but like the then the band is like a keyboard player three guitarists yeah. and a bass player and then like one of the guitarists is also the main vocalist but as Rob says you've got these perfectly precise drumming but because the drumming is like sort of quite fast and tight with each other it's not your complex normal prog rock drumming it's, no. it's quite rock drumming yeah and a lot of what makes this prog is some of the choices of the guitar so i don't think they use these on this album but they have microtonal guitars mm. which if you're if you've never seen one these look so alien which have extra frets in them so they'll split like the third fret in have the third fret will have another bar in the middle of it, so it's got two different notes in it, and one is sort of not a note. Yeah. Um, there's there's going to be a music theory reason for why that works. Mm. I've got no idea, but yeah. So they're a very creative band, and they have these very high pitch kind of classic seventies prog kind of vocals. Yeah. Like they, they have so much of a seventies prog kind of sound. To yeah, them. yeah. And there's so much of that sort of trippy psychedelic nature in everything that they do, mm. regardless of which style they go with. And they bring that into this sort of like thrash metal style as well, which makes it feel really unique. Well, it kind of feels like a seventies psychedelic band attempting to write a thrash album. Yeah. It? Like yeah. if um 
if Hawkwind post Lemmy did a Fresh album, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. kind of got that kind of feel to it. So everything about it is it, totally atypical for Fresh. Yeah, other yeah, than actually the lyrical theme is very classic Fresh. Mm. Yeah, it's not like big and meaty and heavy. Like it's sort of thinner, like scratchier and more ethereal than a, any thrash album should be you know so the thing when I was listening to it I just think this shouldn't work these yeah, elements yeah. should not work into something that I think sounds really good but I actually really like it it really feels like a bit of a breath of fresh air yeah yeah and the, the thing that made this really stand out to me was like Stu McKenzie has totally changed his voice for this yeah, album yeah it sounds he's gone for this really gruff kind of angry sound which He's unrecognisable as he as he's on some of the other albums of theirs I've heard. Yeah, I've not heard all fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but they're insane productivity. Was, of I think it was last year they put out five albums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing with their style as well is their albums are all super short. They're kind of like half an hour in length and often have a lot of repeated elements. So it's like mm. essentially they come up with three sort of ideas and that's expanded in. Hence why they get so many of them out. But even that doesn't quite explain this level of creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And switching between different genres as well. And again, the album's really nice and dynamic, which is something that Thrash often doesn't have. There are much quieter moments, which contrast with these more metal and aggressive sections, mm. um, which, yeah, just makes it feel... And they've always been a really organic band. They've always felt like they're in the room with you. And if you watch the live videos, the sound is pretty much exactly the same as the record. Mm. So, it, yeah, feels really alive. The thing I like as well, for a band with three guitars, they give the bass loads of space on it. Like, mm. So the bass and drums really form the core of the songs and the guitars have sort of a lot more fun and do like more out there stuff. There's like really great solos, but they're very 70s solos. Yeah. Like, that, I think the guitaring is particularly what makes me think of the 70s psychedelic mm. rock. Um, some of the songs have like amazingly cool drum intros. There's yeah. loads of them on this album. Yeah, yeah, and and there are like from doing a lot of watching them, there are moments where the two drummers do play slight variations on what they're playing, which gives some really cool little sounds, which you you sort of wouldn't notice on first hearing it, but if you pay attention, you'll never hear it in a band with a single drummer where they're doing something you just can't do. But then a lot of the time, it just doubles up. Um, and it's one of those things where it's just sort of a bit weird and I've never quite decided whether I think it's good or not. But, I mean, it's fine. It has no negative impact. I just feel sorry for them having to lug two drum kits around yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it's a weird... I think these guys have managed to get themselves big enough they can tour with this kind of ridiculous lineup. Yeah. But they are certainly a unique and interesting project. I'm kind of glad they exist. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm also glad I don't think anyone else is going to follow in their footsteps. No. Like, <laughs> like one of one King Gizzard is enough. <laughs> but yeah, this album, I was properly blown away. Actually, the only moment of it I don't like was the one you mentioned earlier. Is I just don't get Superbug. Oh, I really <laughs> like Superbug. That was very catchy. Yeah, yeah the, the lyrical themes, like it's a concept album as well. Like kind of... Um, kind of classic end of the world through environmental mm. catastrophe and has a cool like rich and poor dynamic going on yeah I, I think the lyric writing is absolutely excellent except for one line of you cannot start a song with the line I'm just a poor boy <laughs> no no you can't that's <laughs> I've forgotten the, about that yeah but the, <laughs> like, every time I hear that line this is Bohemian Rhapsody yeah, guys yeah. You, you can't take a line out of Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> <laughs> but other than that I'm, I'm really impressed by it mm. 
previously the only album that I've sort of got into it was uh, Nonagon Infinity, which I think is their other really famous one. And if you've not come across this band before and you want to hear more traditional them, I think the best start point is look up the video for People Vultures. Oh yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I would also recommend the song Crumbling Castle for the like proggier side of what mm. they do. There's a really good live... Um, performance they do in KEXP in Iceland where they play that and a whole bunch of other songs and it yeah they're just one of those bands you sort of got to see live to really realise how many people there are there <laughs> doing something yeah yeah but yeah thoroughly impressed by this and yeah I don't get all the haters saying this is a band pretending to be metal I am all for non-metal bands attempting to do yeah. a metal album but and bringing in a completely new take on something that you know it, to some extent has got its own established traditions and shaking those up yeah yeah because because although everyone's like, oh, this is, this is a prog band attempting to be fresh, you're like, cool, that's yeah, a fun idea. It's very cool. I, I know, I know, a lot of times it doesn't quite work. Like Dio attempting to be fresh was yeah. terrible, <laughs> but like, this is, yeah, sometimes it can throw something new at a genre that we thought we've heard every single variation of. Mm. <laughs> from Liam Savage of a band I'd never heard of before. So he first recommended this years ago when we did the Progressive Thrash episode. This is the Canadian band Anonymous and their third album Instinct. So I think Anonymous uh, fit into that pool of bands who did Thrash when it wasn't cool mm. and thus have been completely lost to the mists of time for the most part. It's like the fact they're still going. They've got 10 albums. Mm. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, like in, in their 30-year career, that's an impressive output. Mm. 
So what I describe the sound as is kind of classic thrash that is clearly taken a bit of that groove metal influence from Pantera, etc. Yeah. And yeah, so it has a slight tendency towards like the core stuff, but yeah. never quite getting there. It's just slightly modern thrash essentially yeah and there's moments where you can see that sort of like influence from bands like Meshuggah or something like that like on High Tech Resurrection there's that much more like groove laden like you know constructing the rhythm of the riffs and fitting the vocals around that sort of style to it which I thought was really interesting um, another thing I really liked which is just sort of a weird fact about the album is two of the songs are in French one of them are in Spanish and the rest is in English yeah. which I, I think is really cool no it's one of the things that grabbed me quite quickly about this is I love bands that switch between multiple languages like yeah. if you're able to do it go for it I forgot to mention this is their third album in, uh, Instinct from 1999 so really uncool like possibly the most <laughs> uncool genre you could be playing yeah. in metal at the point in 1999 so I love them for sticking with it like, yeah, that's, yeah 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 I, I like all at this point in time, right? Exodus have broken up. Metallica are a rock band, <laughs> you know. Um, I think, yeah, I think Testament were kind of turned into a death metal band. Yeah. Like, it, this is someone's definitely sticking to their guns way past, yeah, way past that point. And I like that influence that they've taken from things like Sepultura or Fear Factory or that sort of like more hardcore angle makes it feel really aggressive particularly compared to a lot of thrash or pantera like that sort of thing gives it an edge which i think really helps out in in the time where you know death metal was going strong and there were all these other genres which were super aggressive thrash was no longer that thing this has that very distinct feel mm. and i like that idea of sort of the underdogs of being a band playing thrash when no one wanted to hear <laughs> any thrash so, as well it's got a brutality to it i really like say um the second track out of breath it's only a minute and a half long and it is just like absolute powerhouse where everything about it is just nasty and heavy. Mm. And it, it's got a, a very slick kind of production which just gives it a bit more kind of chunk to all the riffing. Big criticism of it. Like there's definitely the new metal influence. Uh, the next track, Feed the Dragon, has some proper rap vocals that uh, yeah. that yeah. just did not work for me. Although later in the album he does some way faster less like awkward white dude on a new metal album <laughs> rapping is actually really good it's just yeah. on that track that kind of it's very I, I'm trying to think of the kind of bands it's reminiscent of but mm. it's just that late 90s rap metal yeah. like those tracks don't work so well yeah but then there's cool surprises like um, Tierra is sort of like a thrash ballad style thing like in the vein of like what Testament or Iced Earth would do which has got that big epic feel and like softer vocals as well as the harsh bits as well so there's there's like really cool stuff going on and like sort of that you know, thrash a bit of influence from hardcore, but loads of ideas and other influences have been sort of pulled in. Yeah. And it's this treasure trove of, like, weird little things. Like, like the fact that not all the songs are in English and there's three different languages going on and those influences from bands like Pantera while at the same time having, like, a thrash ballad on it. There's just lots of interesting things that were put into it because it was at a time when no one was doing this. It's quite an... In it's, it's a good time capsule of just... Like a load of st like a lot of the influences on this you wouldn't really hear anymore because they're no. going to be they're a bit more played out and so on. Yeah. But for an album of its time, like it's really interesting, mm. and, and I do think Anonymous are definitely one of those, um, yeah, like lost bands who are actually quite interesting, yeah. but yeah, never got any attention. So yeah, good find, Liam. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> 
right, so the next track is uh, suggested by um, the vocalist of my band, Divian, Finn Moore. Um, and this is, this is well outside our normal wheelhouse. This is uh, Revolting Cocks, Cocked and Loaded from 2006. So if you're not familiar with these guys, they've been around for fucking ages. But they are Al Jorgensen of Ministries, kind of big loads of people getting together project. Um, it kind of has a bit of a Desert Sessions vibe, yeah. you know, the uh, Queens of Sony sort of spin-off project vibe to it where you feel there's about 50 people involved yeah. and just having this big melting pot some, of ideas. There's some big names on this one. There's Billy Gibbons um, from ZZ Top. There's two members of Cheap Trick. Um, Gibby from the Butthole Surface. I know Finn's big into Butthole Surface as well. So I can see why this is like a combination of all the things that he likes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's... I would say this, to me, feels like a way more focused Ministry album. Yeah. It has all the kind of... The classic stables and ministry of that very industrial, pounding, repetitive drum beats over mm. big, chunky riffs with loads of weird samples, lots of repeating motifs throughout it, but all to the point in quite pop kind of structures. Yeah, those like electronic elements and the very synthetic sounding drums and big synths giving it that texture. And like weirdly, one of the things that when I was listening to it, the song "A Million Ways to Die" with its like weird sort of voiceover thing, almost made me think it was like a sort of darker version of Frank Zappa. Mm. There's like some weird sort of comedy in there, which reminded me of that. Uh, which yeah, like I actually started like at that point, I was like, actually no, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, yeah, I've got to admit, I really did like this. Uh, Ministry of Band, I've always struggled with. I think they've mm. got some moments I like, but. For the most part, they're far too unfocused, and their newer output is just terrible. Mm. I think Al has just done too many drugs uh, <laughs> at this stage. But like, this just feels that bit more. I think because there's a few more minds on it, and there's a lot of people working together. Whereas reading his autobiography, I get the impression Ministry was essentially Al trying to wrangle a load of uninterested people into mm. actually getting something recorded. Whereas this does have that feel of being a bit more of a labour of love. Um, on top of the people uh, Rob mentioned, we also have Jello Biafro and even Iggy Pop has a credit oh, on this. Yeah. Like, it, it is crazy who is involved in it. And this is, so this was their fourth album from 2006, so it's been this, like, long-running collaboration. I've never heard anything else by them. This no. is just, yeah, I, I probably would have missed this completely if it wasn't for Finn recommending it. How did you get on with it as a whole? So I, I, I'm not sure it would be something that's in regular rotation for me, but I enjoyed it. Like, it's it's catchy and yet still entertaining at the same time. Mm. It still does enough, which makes me think, oh, like, not only is this just kind of catchy and fun, that's actually quite interesting. I like what's going on there with the, like, weird electronic elements that have been added to it. I think that makes it really interesting. Um, and it never outstays its welcome, I find. It's not particularly, you know, long or bloated or unfocused. Well, I think it definitely benefits from the pop structure. Like, yeah. that, that yeah. really helps. Um there is, I haven't looked into too much detail, but there are moments that feel a bit questionable uh, 14 years on for the release, particularly yeah. Pole Grinder. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Finn, you really <laughs> need to check the lyrics more often. <laughs> but if you can look past that, because it clearly is a bunch of very high people yep. fucking around and trying to be funny as much as write good riffs. And as Rob says, for a lot of it, it does have like a lot of fun elements to it. Yeah. it it is a good, silly, but catchy, essentially super heavy pop album. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a good description, actually. 
yet another from a genre I think we've basically never covered. This was a recommendation from Mark Morris, who got in touch after the last, um, well, episode 49, the Christian Metal episode I did, to recommend another of the very extreme end of Christian Metal. So this is Impending Doom's fourth album, Baptized in Filth, from 2012. And Impending Doom are kind of listed on Metal Archives as a deathcore band. I think that mm. is that's probably a fair description of them. But don't like completely write them off based on that. Because normally deathcore, I can't get my head around. Like, I like Job for a Cowboy when they turned into a death metal band. <laughs> but I don't understand their first album at all. This has a lot of that kind of... The, the post-2010 evolution of deathcore, where a lot of the bands started taking more from death metal and moved a bit away from every song having to have a breakdown, like the kind of shying away from lead guitar. This has all those elements to it as well. And overall, this is just a really heavy album. Uh, how do you get on with it, Rob? I have completely missed this one off my oh, list. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just sort of frantically shuffling through what I've got. Um, so I'm very sorry about that. I missed that one. In fairness, I think this was added after the uh, after the kind of the main list. Well, anyway, mm. I'll, I'll I'll give you my thoughts on it. I do think it was really decent. It's um, it's kind of aggressive and over the top throughout. Really short to the point songs. The problem I have with it is it's just it's not a death metal album. So mm. all the bits where it goes into classic staples of deathcore, I don't like because it's deathcore, and that's no criticism of the band. They're just playing a genre I don't like. Mm. But they do a lot with the Christian kind of imagery in the lyrics. Like they do a good kind of. Just just take on making Christian imagery really violent and chaotic and over the top, and that works really well. I haven't got a huge amount more than that to add. It's just very well done. And if you mm. like if you still have time for that kind of later end of Deathcore, this is really solid. I think if you dig stuff like My Art is Murder, definitely mm. give this a go. But yeah, for me, I don't I don't know how much it's something I'll go back to, but I certainly enjoyed it for the sort of the time I listened to it.
one, well, we let him have two recommendations because they're both so good. Uh, it's another one from Donovan Zimmerman. This is full of, uh, full of Raros? Or Raros, or Raros? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the reference to the name is. Uh, pa- their latest album, Patterns in Mythology, released on Gilead Media. So, yet another Portland band, that, but these guys have been around for quite a while, mm. formed back in 2005, and this is their fifth album. And this is kind of the slightly melodic end of atmospheric black metal, I'd say. Yeah, so this was one uh, which was competing with False to be in one of my picks for the ones we were going to talk about. Um, And I think he recommended both of those albums (laughs) (laughs) on the same sort of wavelength. But it is, yeah, it's that slightly more mournful side of black metal with those really melodic parts. Like the, the guitar solos on this are so well constructed. Every note of them is so sort of laden with emotion. Like that's one of the massive standouts from listening to yeah, this. Yeah, no, no, you, you've tapped into exactly the same thing as me. The lead guitar playing, uh, I think it's Jordan who does the the solos on it, is absolutely brilliant. Mm. It, it is utterly incredible lead guitar writing, and it like and adding that to a genre like long form black metal, mm. which doesn't normally do a lot of solos, is a really nice touch and gives them a a degree of uniqueness. It carries that thing through. If you listen to a band like Agalot who have amazing sort mm. of guitar melodies in the leads and expand that into like proper lead work rather than just the melodies over it, add in all those melodies as well, but build that into your lead structures as well. And it, yeah, it's just sort of spellbinding, particularly because you're so unused to getting solos in black metal anyway, let alone ones of this level of sort of melodic composition and then interacting with the sort of huge synth soundscapes as well and the other guitar work beneath. Yeah, and so it, it's quite a quite a short listen. There's only like four proper songs on it, but they are all long, ever-changing, like brilliant builds and falls. But yeah, the main takeaway always is just going back to that kind of lead work. I actually really like the sound of this, which is unsurprising because it's... Uh, Engineered, mixed, and mastered by uh, Colin, Colin Marston. Marston. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who is he, that. he is becoming one of my favourite kind of modern producers or like recording engineers. Like the guy can do a lot of different styles very well. Like so, actually, I was saying in their, I was wanting to say in their mellower moments, they remind me of some of the mellower stuff of the latest Panopticon album, mm. which again, mm. same same engineer mixing, mastering. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of why. Because otherwise they're not similar to Monopticon in many ways. No, they don't no. do the clean vocals. But sometimes when they slow right down, there's a similarity in atmosphere, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that's true. It's the moments that remind me of sort of Shoegaze and Alcest as well. Yeah, yeah. Where it's got these larger sort of sections. And then there's... And this sort of, I guess, fits into the theming of the title of the album. It does feel like there's a lot of, like, almost folk arrangements in some parts which are built onto the top of black metal, which is... Just a slightly different way to how it's normally done. Yeah, um, yeah. It fits into that like melodic and melancholy style rather than just being that like directly folky black metal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's got a really beautiful cover as well. It, mm. It's just a nice complete package. And I think of this year's more straight up black metal releases. This is definitely one of my favourites. Yeah, because actually this year's been. Like, there's a lot of black metal. A lot of good black metal this year. And uh, the other thing with this as well is I really like how 
they seem to clearly know that the lead work is one of the best things on this album, like that really carries those high moments. A lot of the vocal melodies and rhythms are built around it in a really sort of satisfying way. There's been a lot of attention given to how they interact with each other. And that's something that's really nice to see with the vocals here. Yeah, yeah. And it, it as I say, yet another Portland band. Like, yep. <laughs> no one in that that state has jobs. Um, um, it's <laughs> just full of studios. And... State is city, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's in Oregon. Yeah. I, I like the amount of bands coming out of Portland recently is mind blowing. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's doing it. No, but there's so much, so many phenomenal things coming out, and so many people who you see popping up in different bands who somehow have the time to produce all these incredible albums. <laughs> that's basically the end of the listener suggestions so we're just going to do the last three of mine and Rob's kind of current just albums we find interesting from mm. 2019 so the first one of these is one of my recommendations not quite sure how to say his name it's NYSS so I'm going to go mm. with Nis this is a from 2015 French progressive avant-garde black metal band and their second album Dispacia released on avant-garde music earlier this year. It's a very out there project. Um, it's got a bit of every every black metal kind of subgenre. It mm. basically does all of them in its in its four track length, and it's just amazing. Like I'm kind of yeah. obsessed with this one. It starts off with the first track, uh, "Let the Devil In." 
starts in a very mellow, atmospheric fashion with these very low, kind of gothy, clean vocals. And it, over its runtime, it is suddenly built to, like, true, blasting, aggressive black mm. metal. You never quite notice it change. And then at around six minutes, the first track just sort of stops... And then this like sort of super proggy riff comes in, and then the cello section comes in with these really mournful like builds. Then builds into this like huge melodic guitar climax at the end of it. So one of the things that really struck me about it is those song structures are bonkers. They're like all over the place. They're really strange, but thematically they're brilliant. They carry such sort of emotional weight to them. And then the the cello, which is a massive part of what makes this album so interesting, and um, the second song just starts with that like really mournful string section. Yeah, yeah. And then builds you into black metal. And it's such a brilliant like addition to it. And um, I really think that this is cello has been used in metal quite a lot, but this is one of those albums where it's like right centre stage and sort of doing, you know, what we now see saxophone as quite a common instrument in metal. Yeah. yeah. This is like that, but the cello. Yeah, and I, I think it is a really nice extra dynamic. So the lineup's really interesting. We have Lee Bullock doing vocals, uh, Francis Boineval, uh playing cello, and then I can't pronounce this guy's name because it doesn't have an in- it has two non-English characters in it, <laughs> and I can't find any other uh, version of writing it. But the main guy behind this, whatever his name may be, plays all the other instruments and does the mixing and mastering, mm. and that guy's performances are totally brilliant. Like his drum work. And maybe it's programmed, but if it is, then his mixing and mastering is brilliant because yeah. he's covered that. The bass playing is incredible. The guitar work is, while traditional, amazing. Mm. Everything has its place. And he's neatly balanced having lots of guitars, I believe keyboards as well, and cello in this very complex mix. Like, and like a, quite a few things. We're talking about a really audible bass as well. Like, the bass hasn't been lost in adding all of these elements to it. Actually, the thing I was going to say, the bass tone is incredible on this. It's got such an attack to it. It's so... Like, for black metal, you often get the bass slightly buried, or at least kind of quite melodic. But this, the bass is really aggressive. Yeah, and yet feels really sort of organic. It doesn't feel, like, heavily distorted and, like, sort of buzzing. It feels really, like, alive. The thing is, it's weird as well, because this is a black metal album, but the bass tone is near enough your like periphery kind of yeah. bass tone. That very modern, like possibly like dark glass um, mm. kind of guitar uh, bass tone. But then a lot of the other elements are very traditional black metal. It is just like, they have found a way in the avant-garde black metal scene to still be incredibly niche and incredibly mm. weird but still catchy <laughs> yeah but and they so much of what they do emphasizes the sort of emotional high points of the album so on like um bitter tears and grave dirt the addition of that cello makes the sort of sad black metal that they're playing even sadder like they really the thing i found is it really delves in on its emotional high points and just sort of shoots them off the scale yeah, you know yeah. like it's so impactful because there's so many little things they're adding in that they've taken from all these different parts of black metal that just emphasizes everything and makes it hit all the harder yeah uh, it, it is such a well put together thing the the other side of it i found quite interesting is avant-garde music releases normally have slightly naff production just mm. Not not like horrible, but just like nothing to write home about. And I think because the main guy has mixed and mastered this, it seems to have conquered that problem for once. Like mm. it, it actually sounds amazing, which yeah. is rare for for um, albums on that label, which I otherwise love. But 
yeah, they could do with a new engineer, I think. <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, if we're talking about all the different instrumental elements which shine through really clearly, to manage to get that and yet still get the intensity of the black metal in it is, is phenomenal. The production's spot on, I think. <laughs> um, I, I did see in the Into the Combine backstage lounge, someone recommended this this album and Jason from Into the Combine wrote it off as too avant-garde for him. <laughs> so so as much as we, we love it, and I, I do believe there's a lot of accessibility to it, it is. It might be way too weird for you. Like, yeah. I suppose that's the thing. It's, to me, it's sort of yeah. It came across as really quite accessible because it's just like it's just emotional, but more because of how it uses those elements. But I suppose those elements in and of themselves are a bit jarring, can be a bit weird if you're not used to them. Yeah, and as I mentioned with like Shabby before, this is certainly for me up there as proper album of the year material. Like. This this blew me away. I was mm. really, really impressed by the quality of this. Year. 
probably not metal, but also probably not any other genre. Yep. This, is the new, this is the third release by Thank You Scientists, the American like jazz rock kind Thing. of yeah. <laughs> the third album, Terraformer. So these guys have been around since 2009 and are mainly the project of the lead guitarist and singer. And yeah, essentially they are just hyper-prog. They will we'll give you a hint of their sound as a lineup. They have a vocalist, guitarist, bass player, drummer, all the classics. Then a trumpet, trumpet player, sax player, yeah. and violinist. And yeah. that is their live yeah, lineup yeah. of the seven piece. Yeah, and it's the sax and trumpet who've been added as permanent members for this album, as, okay. along with a new drummer as well. So they'd used them live, but they're now coming in as a full part of it. And uh, the thing that I love about Thank You Scientists and this album does not disappoint in that is there are such a variety of rhythms going on. There are so many different arrangements of all the different parts uh, that just even if you're not paying attention to any of the pictures of anything, the rhythms are so interesting. And there's I think that jazz influence comes in massively with all of the like drum work that's underlying these weird rhythms that never feel particularly... They're never shoving the complexity in your face. It's always sort of oh, that's interesting, that's a cool way of doing that. And then they'll match that with, like, really poppy choruses. Mm. And then it will, like, put a little bit of a weird rhythm or a weird melody into it, which sort of, like, does a weird jazz scale or, like, just goes a bit all over the place in a slightly strange time signature. And it just makes you feel like you're a terrible musician listening to them. (laughs) Yeah, having seen them live twice, Mm. like, I have, like, watching their guitarist every time completely melts my brain. I don't, he is so effortlessly complex. And also, he's the most unassuming looking guy. He's this tiny little man, like, really short hair. First time I saw him, he was wearing an obnoxious blue jumper (laughs) while shredding in a way I have never seen. Like, um... Yeah, he's properly up there with those like Steve I type guitarists. Mm-hmm. He really is a true virtuoso. But because he surrounded himself with a backing band who actually do all sorts of interesting out there stuff, it's never self indulgent. It just it just feels experimental and yeah. and actually kind of fun throughout. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like all it it has that little bit of like Frank Zappa thing of like just that experimentation and the joy of music, but bringing it all back to something that's really hooky. Yeah, I don't... It doesn't have, like, the kind of almost purposeful obfuscation of Frank Zappa where songs, like, feel obnoxiously too complex at times. As much as I like Frank Zappa, he definitely tries to make it hard work for his audience. Whereas these guys always feel like they're trying to bring stuff back to a big chorus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's trying to take the audience with them through the slightly weirder bits. And it's there because it's fun and because it's interesting, not because they're trying to mislead you or do something clever. Yeah. So I should mention the vocalist as well, who I think is a sticking point for a lot of people. Um, he sort of does the actually very similar vocal style to the singer of Code in Cambria. Mm. Like, very, like, super falsetto, ever so slightly nasally, but... The guy's got a brilliant singing voice yeah. and looks the polar opposite of what you think he yeah. looked like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because having listened to him before, the first time we saw them in Bristol, I just did not expect that noise to come from that man. <laughs> but yeah, like, he's great and it's really sort of joyful without being sort of just happiness with no substance. Like, there's loads of stuff going on here. He does these really, like, nice sort of soaring vocal lines mm. in a lot of parts um, it took me a little bit of time, but now it's a style that I'm really getting on with. I, I think they are a band that, yeah, you might have to push through the first listen or so, but 
actually there's so much to Terraformer, it is so worth your time. I mean, it's about an 80 minute long listen, it really... Yeah. Like they throw everything at it, and the, the number of genre changes they throw in there <laughs> might kind of confuse and disorientate a lot of listeners on first pass. But yeah, and uh, yeah, the number, the sheer number of instruments as well, the different noises that are going on. Um, yeah, and then I I remember first listening to not this album, but first listening to Thank You Scientists, being really taken by surprise by the vocals as well because they're just not what I expected. But nothing about them is really what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, and I think these guys have made a real leap from their last album. I enjoyed their last album, but this one I absolutely love. Mm. And it, it, they, they've just done some, I think, embraced more complexity and more weirdness, and it's just worked for them. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just really, really brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and sort of defies any kind of categorization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, like, even with the length, I don't have any real criticism to lay at it. I, I like it for its whole runtime. Mm. I was lucky enough to see them play Arc Tangent Festival, um, uh, like, a couple of weeks back. Although it was pissing down with rain, and I uh, bumped into Chris from Punishing Brutality before they played, who had never heard of them. <laughs> and the singer walked on stage in the pouring rain in a Hawaiian shirt, which Chris said, <laughs> Is he taking a fucking piss? <laughs> They're just that happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they really, they drop nothing on the live show. They, they, the guys can play these songs utterly perfectly. Mm. And yeah, definitely, if you want to get into them, that is the way to experience their sound. And even if you're sort of like a bit lukewarm on it, watch them because like they're just phenomenal musicians to watch. Like, yeah, I've only seen them once, but it, yeah, it's a spellbinding performance, even if you're not super into it. Yeah. recommendations another one of Rob's this is Osorarium's Living Tomb um, 
take a guess where this band are from. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what the 20th recommendation from Portland on this yep. list. Uh, <laughs> actually, first off, 20 bucks spin, though. Uh, yeah. So, this is kind of pretty new band. They formed in 2016. This is their first sort of proper output. And they do a kind of classic Death Doom kind of sound. Yeah, classic Death Doom thing. Um, so it's that sort of done really well. And then there's a few little things that I think make this really quite special. Because there's been a lot of cool Death Doom stuff that's been released this year. Witch Vomit off of 20 Bucks Spin as well yeah, is also yeah. really cool. But this one really stood out to me. Um, I think I first got properly into it because it had a Dan Seagrave cover. Yeah. Looked at that, I was like, that looks awesome. I've got to listen to this. But I think some of the... So, firstly, like the riff structure in it is really good. It's really, really well written. It's got a sort of classic heavy metal feel to the production of the drums. Like, it's really sort of open and cavernous and feels the right size for something this sort of dirty. But then it's got little sort of, like, progressively psychedelic things. So, um, in The End of Life and Dream... The End of Life, Dreams and Visions Part 1... There's this really weird, um, like, psychedelic lead guitar bit, mm. which is really sort of off-kilter and not the thing you'd expect in Death Doom. And there's little things like in Vomiting Black Death, which is possibly my favourite song off the album. It just goes through so many motions. It's got these sort of suffocation-style riffs, and then it's got these doomy bits, and then it's got these slightly more psychedelic bits. So, like, the song structures here are really, really interesting the vocals, I also think, are quite interesting because they're not that stereotypical guttural. They don't really have the guttural edge to it, despite being really low. They sound like they've been recorded in some cave somewhere. It's almost like a super death metal whisper style, which is through the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, I think this is... It's, it's doing a few little things that I think are really interesting and overall comes out as just like this super catchy like, old-school death metal with bits of doom mixed in, which I thought came together as a really nice package. Yeah, it's very polished. It's very well done. I still not cracked this one. Of like mm. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but I've not got to the point where I, I love it or desperately want to revisit it, and I, yeah. don't, I don't know quite what's not working about it for me. Because Rob, everything Rob has said about it is totally true. This is perfectly well executed death doom like there are really good riffs from it there are some other creative ideas in there and it's got this really nice polished sound to it Mm. i don't know maybe that's my issue with it i think i think from this kind of sound i want something closer to spectral voice than this like yeah yeah i think actually yeah my issue is it's lacking a bit of nastiness Mm. like because everything else is basically right because i suppose in a sense one of the things that it sort of reminded me of was um, Veninanum, mm. um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which is one we talked about a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think they were in 2017. Story, which was a really cool like um, mix of death metal and like progressive rock. And I can sort of see that element in here, but it's then mixed it with that sort of death doom feel. So I guess that's probably why I don't mind that it's not quite as gritty. Yeah, um, where it's, but I would say, say like something like Veninum, they had a kind of psychedelic, they had kind of a weird 70s guitar tone, mm. whereas this has a very traditional, like, modern death metal production. Yeah. They, yeah. Like, they've taken no risks on the sound or tone of the mm. album. And yet, something about that just isn't quite clicking for me. But I was playing this earlier, and my girlfriend 
absolutely love this one. So <laughs> I think this might just be me because I've seen a yeah. lot of positive things about this album. And I think if you like Death Doom, this is definitely worth giving a go because it is very well written. Yeah, of like sort of all of the various like Death Doom things, there's been quite a few on 20 Bucks Spin and on a few others as well. This is the one that sort of stood out to me. But, um, you know, that's totally reasonable. We will come to the end of the year and there'll be all sorts of weird shit on there that one of us won't get. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, <laughs> I was going to say, when I say don't get it, I mean... I don't get it to the point of, like, I don't love it. Like, yeah. I, I can happily listen to it. It's, it's not a bad album by any extent. This is one where I have a connection of I'm in another band with the drummer, mm. so yeah, obviously totally biased on this. <laughs> but Rob doesn't have any connection to him, so <laughs> yeah, uh, this is Monsters Attack. Um, I believe it's of the same name, the EP. Yeah, the debut EP, yeah. self-titles. Um, and I'm going to get you to read out these song titles, Phil, because that is one of the <laughs> best things about this. So this EP is two basically ten-minute-long songs. Uh, titled Godzilla Destroys Fascism and Mothra Always Plays Her Taxes. <laughs> this is, um, so their sound is, I think, very rooted in the French, the new wave of like, French hardcore. There's a mm. lot of really interesting, progressive, um, incredibly horrible sounding hardcore yeah. coming out of France at the moment. And this three piece are really leaning into that very long form fucked up stuff, taking elements of Dillinger, Escape Plan, stuff like that, mm. but then blending it with bits of black metal and other hideous noise kind of genres. Yeah. So leaving behind the kind of polish of Dillinger and just taking the most chaotic bits of their sound and combining it with other really chaotic things like horrible French black metal, which is yeah. another yeah, yeah. sub-genre they're excellent at. Yeah, I think that really sells it, because it gets that horrendous atmosphere from it, but using the techniques of, you know, the hardcore, it's still really aggressive, so it mixes those in a really interesting way. Um, and then 
manages to be musically ludicrously complex as well. Like, the performances here are insane. Like, there's so much work gone into all of this. Yeah, and, and they start in, like, such a hideous way of this completely weirdly fuzzed out guitar and like mm. wrongly produced drums <laughs> that suddenly give way to the actual riffing you start the first like 20 seconds of the album just sounds like the recording's fucked yeah, it, up it, and it then... feels like you've plugged in the speaker wrong like into the completely wrong output or something and it's <laughs> yeah. distorting the whole thing you know, yeah just sort of like what's happening here and then it comes through and it, the production's actually it's not like it is clean in a way, but it's not super polished. Like, it's clean that you can work out every single drum stroke from it, but it feels sort of dirty. Yeah, yeah. And all the vocals are this kind of, like, high-pitched, hardcore slash black metal shrieking. Mm. Like, it's not like distorted, actually. Like, it, it's, the guy just has an absolutely hideous voice. Yeah, yeah. Which is really nice, actually, because it, it brings in that sort of more black metal element, which sort of pushes that extremity of it but at the same time pushing the atmosphere and I think that's the really interesting thing that this like hardcore and black metal mix does is it pushes those two things at the same time and sort of like I mean this less similar to but in a similar way than something like Oathbreaker yeah um, yeah might do yeah um guitarist Philip does this really um interesting split signal thing so the, the lineup is drummer vocalist and guitar but this whole album sounds like it has a bass because he's doing that thing where he's running his guitar mm. into two different speakers. Like, uh, okay, really yeah. interesting modern technique. Uh, local band Segvera also do mm. this to great effect. But his, his the way he's chosen his guitar tone and what he does playing-wise completely fills out the sound. And Hugo's very good at blasting through stuff. Yeah. Like, Hugo's drum performance is really in-your-face and aggressive. It's not triggered, it's just... The speed of the drums here and the like the sound that he gets out of them, the production is so nice because it feels like such a real kit. Mm. You know, it, it's so clearly the product of an actual drummer. You know, you can hear that thought that's gone into it and every single hit is like spot on. Like the rim shots on the snare drum are just spot on and that's a very satisfying thing. And I know from being in the same room as him playing drums, he hits the drums very, very <laughs> hard. Yeah. He's a very noisy drummer. Mm, mm. But this whole thing is just horrible, aggressive noise. And if, if yeah, if you have like a taste for that kind of end of hardcore, this is seriously good stuff, especially mm. for... A completely debut project. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. That's the that's the end of our two part on listener suggestions. Thanks a lot for recommending stuff. Like it's been really fun going through all of these. Like we haven't there hasn't really been any recommendations we hated. Like which no. is yeah, really nice. Like everything's been really interesting and varied. Um, if yeah, you want... I think lots of cool things that we sort of knew about but hadn't properly got into, which is really nice to go back and rediscover things. And you think, actually, that's much better than I thought it was and give it proper time. And then loads of like new stuff, you know, loads of things from the last couple of years and things from this year, which are really good. Mm. Um, so that's always nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you want us to do another one of these episodes, let us know. We'll be well up for doing one again in a couple of months, I imagine. Mm. We'll need some recovery time because the research <laughs> was exhausting but uh yeah so hit us up uh, at breakfast metal on twitter phil's breakfast metal on facebook or phil's breakfast metal at gmail.com if you want to get in touch via email yeah, yeah thanks a lot for listening <laughs>